Okay, guys, today we're, we're, we're winding down. We're in Titus. We're still in chapter 1. Last week we talked about elders, a greeting and, and the issue of elders, which is why Titus was sent to Crete by Paul, was to appoint elders. But today Paul's going to talk about false Christians. And to be honest with you, this is the, this is the one thing that I, I'm always amazed by is that we, first of all, I, I don't know if you're aware of it, Christians have historically been gullible. Okay? We're, we're willing to accept anybody who professes faith. Just being honest with you. Okay? But that's not necessarily a good thing. Because our testimony of faith is simply that we believe in Christ, we believe that He is God, that he died on the cross for us, and that we are following him. And so anybody who makes that profession of faith, we believe is a believer, right? But are they? No, and a lot of times, not at all, okay? and But see, and it's hard for us to wrap our brain around that, because why would somebody want to come to church? Well, people come to church, to be honest with you, for a whole host of reasons that are not necessarily good. They come to church for their own selfish reasons. Especially, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but 90% of churches are 100 or less people in attendance. You know, I, you know, you look at big churches, they're only part of a 10% of American churches. 90% of churches in America are a hundred or less. In fact, 80% of them are 75 or less. Okay? 75 or less are, are, is the size of a church. So if you have somebody, you can be a big fish in a small pond. Do you understand what I, what I mean by that? You can come in, look good, and be motivated by the wrong things, and really be in charge of churches. And have you ever been to churches where there's been, quote, power brokers? You know what I'm saying? People who you kind of wonder, are they even believers, but they're in charge? You know what I'm saying? Because folks like to be in charge, right? And, and to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the church, where would they be in charge at? In a lot of places, not. Not places at all. So motivations can be wrong for people in church. And so I also want to just point out to you, you, you realize that as a believer, you're not just in a physical world, okay? Physical, like, I can touch this, see this, okay? You're in a spiritual world, in a spiritual battle, and the enemy is real, and he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy the church of God, okay? So do you think he will do things to try to destroy that? Isn't that what Jesus said? You know, goes out, sows seed in the evening, the enemy comes and spreads what? Tears among the wheat. And God says, let it be until the end, and then we'll separate it. So there are unbelievers, false Christians among us, okay? And you need to be aware of that. So not everybody who says they are a believer is a believer. In fact, that's the testimony of Jesus in Matthew 7. Many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew who you were, okay? I never knew you. 
And when you read what's going on there, they did some amazing things. And Jesus said, I never knew you. So we're going to look at verses 10 through 16, and he's going to talk about false Christians, okay? And he's going to give us a description, and he's going to give us some things that we need to think about. So let's look, first of all, at verse 10. For there are many insubordinate, many idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore... Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified, for every good work. All right, so let's take a look. First of all, a description. Paul tells Timothy that there are false believers among them. All right, I've already said that to you. You need to just realize that. There are false believers among us, okay? False believers among us. And one of the ways that he's going to show us is how we can tell about that is He's going to talk about their false actions. So in verse 10, he points out that they are rebellious or insubordinate to the leaders of the church. They're rebellious or insubordinate to the leaders of the church. So one of the key characteristics of false believers is that they're not willing... And we've seen this before when we've talked about false teachers. They're not willing to place themselves under the authority of anyone. They have a problem with authority. You ever met anybody who has a problem with authority? You ever met somebody in church who has a problem with authority? It, you know, you know, you might say, well, wait a minute, George, I knew the pastor that they were having a problem with, and he wasn't a good pastor. I understand that, but chances are, it wasn't just the pastor that they were having a problem with. It was the rest of the leadership that they were having a problem with. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we talk about them not, it's a plural thing here, it's not being not just to one person, but to the leadership of the church. They're insubordinate and rebellious to those who are over them. All right, so really what you're seeing there is what comes, where does that come from? Pride and arrogance, right? They're filled with pride and they're arrogant. So Paul points out that they are rebellious and insubordinate to leaders of the church. Now here's the other one that he points out, and I think this is interesting. He stresses that they say a lot of things when in fact they're actually saying nothing. This is idle talk. They say a lot of things, but in reality what they're saying is meaningless. There's nothing there. 
You ever met somebody like that? They talk a lot. You know what I'm saying? Talk a lot. But in reality, they're not saying anything. There's nothing there. There's no substance there. Again, I think back to some of the descriptions in the New Testament. It's, it's like a well. You know what I'm saying? It's like seeing a bunch of, or actually, you know, the, the illustration for Paul is like you're seeing a bunch of rain clouds, but there's no rain. Did you understand what I'm saying? They look good, say a lot, but the fact of the matter is, is there's nothing there. They say a lot of things when in fact they're actually saying nothing. And then he goes on and gives this description. He says, he points out that they are deceptive in the things that they are saying. They're deceptive. So when they tell you something, they may not tell you the whole truth, but they just tell you enough to what? Accomplish what they want to accomplish. Okay? Accomplish what they want you to accomplish. You know, my observation in the past, you know, of watching people who get worked up in church, usually... To be honest with you, it's a known fact that when you have problems in the church, that it's not a group of people who are upset. It's usually two or three people. And the two or three people then work up the rest of the people. And how they work up the rest of the people is that they only they don't tell them the whole story. They may not even tell them the full story. They, they just tell them enough to what? Work them up. Have you ever witnessed that before? Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? And that's what's going on here, is that their rebellion is against the church. He points out that they are deceptive in the things that they are saying. And he says this. He stresses that this is true of those who are Judaizers. The scripture says those of the circumcision. He's referring to Judaizers here. Now, I gave you a historical note in your notes there about who Judaizers were. These were Jewish Christians. Probably their background was that they were Pharisees at one time who felt that you needed to do certain things in order to be saved. Not just faith in Christ, but you also had to keep the law. In particular, men, Gentile men, were being told that they had to be what? Circumcised. So these are folks who are stressing one point even over salvation. So, okay, I'll be honest with you. In our type of church, in our circle of churches that we would normally dwell in, we don't have people who are stressing circumcision, but we do have people who make a big ruckus and they're stressing something else. What are they stressing? It's not circumcision. Um. No, not baptism, Rhonda, but that's a good thought, okay? What do you think they're stressing? Okay, dress code. You have to dress a certain way to come to church, okay? And, and I've heard it this way. I have, I have a good friend. That if you were to appear before the queen, because he's a Canadian, if you were to appear before the queen, because the queen of England is the queen of Canada, you would wear your finest outfit to appear before the queen. So when you appear before God, you need to dress your best. And I've heard that. How many of you have heard that? Except it's when you appear before the president, okay? 
well, you know what? Yeah, if I got invited to the White House or if I'm in London and I got invited to Buckingham Palace, I'm not going to dress like this. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I probably would not be asked back. I probably wouldn't even be allowed in. Okay? But, but we know from Scripture, does God look upon the outward appearance of men? What does he look at? Their heart. Now, let's stop for a moment. That stressing of what you have to wear, how can that lead you astray? Because it can. Okay, my acceptance with God is based on what? Yeah, my ex- like Brad said, my, the external. Do you, do you understand? The external. What are some other things that maybe, we're not talking circumcision now, but what else could there be? Because trust me, there's always been in a church a vocal group that feels that we need to do whatever. What's that? Oh yeah, jewelry or hair. There are some groups. Yes, I. You know, in in the in in the South where I'm from, there are Wesleyan groups where the women wear dresses with their sleeves down here in July. Okay. And, 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 and they got the, the hem of their dress all goes the way down to their ankles and they got a honey bun on and they don't wear any jewelry. Rhonda knows what I'm talking about. And, and, yeah, okay. So, yeah, and so, you know, so, the, and, and because they feel that they have to be what? Do what they have to do to be accepted with God. Now, what's the problem with that? Because some of you are like saying, oh, George, that's just legalism. It is legalism, but what, what's the... by grace, not by what we wear or where we go or whatever. We're okay, do you hear what Bruce said? We're saved by grace. Okay, what were you... I saw your hand, Lori. Well, they're not just adding to the law. They're adding to the message of salvation, which is what Bruce was saying about grace. So they, they are really like the Judaizers in that they're distorting grace which is the point that Paul was making earlier when I said in verse 10 there that he points out that they were deceptive in the things that they were saying. So they're distorting the whole issue, the whole dynamic of the gospel in that salvation is by faith alone. So now we get to where he gives the imperative in verse 11, which this is going to be difficult for us in the church because, again, remember I told you that we're gullible and that we're willing to accept anyone who comes in who makes a profession of faith. The other problem that we have is, is that we're not willing to tell people that they're wrong. We're not willing to confront their lies. And remember, I told you that not everyone who comes to the church is coming for the right reasons and some of them are tools of the enemy to destroy the church and to, to damage the message of the gospel. And so we need to know how to respond to them. So I want you to notice there, here's the imperative. Paul interrupts his description of their activities to strongly call Titus to stop their teaching. Paul interrupts his description of their actions to strongly call Titus to stop their teaching. He's basically saying to Titus, look, this is what they're doing, but Titus, you need to stop them. You need to rebuke them. 
You need to challenge them to quit teaching this material because it's affecting the church. And again, like I said to you, that's not easy because we don't like that. We, we don't like confronting people. We just hope that they'll come along and they'll do okay. But the fact of the matter is, there are people who are trying to damage the church. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Whose responsibility is that to stop them in their teaching? Whose responsibility? Some of the things we just talked about right now, people talking to you about how you should dress or what Bible to carry, whose responsibility is it to stop them in their teaching? It's, it's all of our responsibilities, not just the leadership. Here he's talking to a leader that he needs to stop it. But to be honest with you, they're not going to come talk to the leaders. Very rarely do they do that. But mostly they're going to come and talk to you about these perversions of grace. And they're going to come to you. And you need to stop it and say, look, what you're saying is wrong. That's not who we are. That's not the message of the gospel. And so Paul is basically calling Titus to stop their teaching. Stop their teaching. All right, so it goes on. He states that they are confusing and subverting the faith of whole households. I'm going to tell you this is true. I have talked to second, third, fourth generation people who are say they are believers, but their whole concept of what Christianity is is that I got to make sure I carry the right Bible, I got to dress the right way, but then they don't go to church. But if they wanted to go to church, they would only go to a church because their grandma said so. They would only go to a church that carries the right Bible, dresses the right way. How many, how many of you have met folks like that? They don't go to church, but they've been subverted in their understanding. They think they're okay, but the reality is that they're not okay. They're not okay. So... He stresses that they are motivated by greed and dishonest financial gain. So really, he's, he's talking about a selfishness here. Now, that's not true of everybody who says, I want you to go to church. But some of these folks that Paul's dealing with are false teachers, and they are in it for themselves. They're in it to make money. They're in it to make money. I was just reading yesterday about a Nigerian leader, actually it's in Ghana, so when next time the asthmas come, I'm going to ask them about this guy. He is a prosperity preacher who dresses immaculately. His people give him lots of money, and he has told them that Jesus says that it's okay for him to have eight houses, eight mansions, and eight Range Rovers. Jesus told him that. I'm thinking... You know, I I talk to Jesus a lot. He's never told me anything like that, you know. But, and the people keep giving money to him. Can I ask you, what's he in it for? Yeah, he's in it for the money, for himself, okay? He's in it, it's greed. And so Paul talks, he kind of again refers back to what the Cretans say about themselves. He quotes a Cretan philosopher who described Cretans as wicked in their actions. And let's be honest, unsaved people, if they're not led by the Spirit, and they're not led by the Spirit, they're going to be focused on what? 
themselves and what they can get out of it. And so that's, that's going to be true for a false Christian. So he affirmed this local description concerning Cretan unbelievers. Now he's going to talk about, in verses 13 through 14, he's going to talk about how to respond to um, false, te- false Christians. First of all, rebuke them. Paul tells Titus that he must rebuke those, these Christians sharply. Paul tells Titus that he must rebuke these false Christians sharply. He's got to deal with it. All right, stop for a moment. I'm, I'm going to make a point here. All right. How many of you like our church? You like the family? You like uh, the, the, uh, the entire program of teaching, whether it's the small groups, everything to help you grow? I mean, you like what's going on here, right? All right, we're on a razor-thin edge, though. You need to realize that. What you like could change overnight quickly. Do you believe that? How? How could it change quickly? How could that change quickly? Yeah, a simple teaching that's not out in the open, but what? Subtle. Because if you read the scripture, it talks about it's always subtle. Somebody spreading some sort of teaching, some sort of emphasis. So you got to deal with it. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because if you don't deal with it, then guess what? He's sending that out to everybody else. You know what I'm saying? And then people start raising questions in their mind. So why do we do what we do? Why does George dress the way he dresses? Do you know what I'm saying? Why isn't he in a sharp suit? He looks sharp at a funeral. Well, so do a lot of other people at a funeral, right? Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? So, do you understand? So you've got to deal with it. I'm saying, folks, you and I have to guard what we have. Do we really need to? I'm going to tell you right now, you have an enemy that wants to destroy what you have. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have an enemy that wants to destroy what you have. So Paul tells Titus, you got to rebuke these false Christians sharply. He goes on, he is to rebuke them so that they may become sound in the faith. Now here's the reason why you rebuke them, is so that you inform them of the truth. So that they possibly will open their eyes and say, oh wow, you're right. So there's always a reason why you're doing it. You're protecting yourself, but you're also trying to help them to become sound in the faith. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times it will happen if you try to teach them because maybe they just heard somebody else and bought it for the moment, but they didn't know better because they were immature. Okay? But you need to do it lovingly so that you help them. All right, he's to rebuke them so that they don't follow Jewish myths and fables. Folks, I am always amazed that a lot of times some of the craziest stuff that's out there traces its roots back to what did the Jews think and what does this, that, or another. To be honest with you, I really couldn't care less what the Jews thought in some of their writings. I am really more concerned about what the Jews wrote in this Bible when they were led by the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so some of these guys, they're like, and especially the guys who are in end times. 
Okay? They're into the end time thing. They'll look at Jewish myths and fables. And you notice now, this is the third letter that Paul is writing where he warns about this. We saw it in 1 Timothy, we saw it in 2 Timothy, now we see it in Titus. He's warning us, guys, stick to your Bibles. Stick to your Bibles. Now, he goes on, he is to rebuke them so that they don't follow man-made commandments. We've already talked about that, right? Man-made commandments? Dressing up? Isn't that a man-made commandment? Okay? Here's some other ones. Where you go out to eat. You can't go to a certain restaurant. Here's another man-made commandment. Lori and I experienced this in our first church. You can't go to the IGA and buy milk on Sunday. But you can go to the local restaurant and order a meal there. Now, I said, why can't you buy milk? Because you're making those people work on the Sabbath. So what are they doing at the chicken restaurant? Is it self-serve there, self-cook? Isn't that interesting? Because people who are legalistic, they're not, here's the word, they're not consistent. Isn't that true? It's not consistent. So he rebukes them not to follow man-made commandments. To those who are pure in the faith, they see all things as pure. So he's making a general point now. People who are pure in the faith, they're going to see, they're going to see the best in everything. Isn't that true? Okay. But he goes on and he says, to false believers, everything is not pure because they are corrupt and unbelieving. Why do you think that they are rebellious towards the leadership of the church? Because to the, to the pure, to a believer, they would say, hey, we, we selected some good men to be leaders. We're going to follow their leadership. But to somebody who's a false Christian, who's rebellious, it doesn't matter. You could have Billy Graham on the board and they would oppose him. Did you understand what I'm saying? They would oppose him. Because they think everybody's what? Corrupt. Because they are. Do you understand? They are. He points out that false Christians are defiled in their thinking. And that only makes sense because they don't have the new mind that's given to you when you become a believer, right? If they're not believers, their thinking is defiled. Now, let's go on. False Christians make a public profession while their actions communicate unbelief. So here's the final thing he says, verse 10. The fact of the matter is, false Christians may say they're believers, but it's how they live their lives. Isn't that what Jesus said in, in, in Matthew chapter 7? A good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree is going to bear what? Bad fruit. You're going to know them by their fruits. You're going to know them by the way they live their lives. Okay? All right. Next week, we're, we're going to look at godly lifestyles.